So, uh, yeah, thank you all for the Passover thing. That was. Thank you for the Passover. Yeah. No, I think I I was the, I was the weak link in this one. I don't think that. Well, I I did that because I knew we would have. I didn't know how many, but I knew most of the people that were there had never been to a Passover Seder, and I I didn't, and maybe I overthought the whole thing. I shouldn't. I you know obviously no. obviously hindsight is. <laughs> But I, I, I thought that I would, uh, I didn't want to do just a standard Hebrew, path. I mean, obviously, I haven't done that in years, just a standard, you know, 15-step Hebrew, because it's really not biblical, you know, and this whole Bible study is about sticking to the word. And uh, I didn't think I would have a shot with most of those people ever again. So I wanted them to know stuff, and I think I might have, uh, <laughs> might have, I definitely gave them too much <laughs> you know i should have i should have well it's like you know i hope so because i have had that experience before where i do something and you know and then all these people come up you know i've told you at the at the rescue mission gave us sermon and 21 guys come up and 16 of them don't even speak english <laughs> so it's like okay that's the way i'd rather roll you know let let and that was, that was my prayer all week, was that they hear what the Lord wants them to hear, not what I want to say. But I don't know why I struggled with that so bad. And I was so far off the beam and got so messed up. You know. I guess, I don't know. I do. I want them to hear all the truth. But I didn't have them for 10 years. <laughs> I had them for an hour. And I tried to pack 10 years and it went to, I don't even know how long it was, it was way longer than it was supposed to be. I don't know. I mean, I got, you said, Let the Lord lead you. I got so messed up. Well, that's what happens when you don't tie me to a microphone. <laughs> I just go all over the place. And, I don't know. I hope so. Well, I hope they learned something. A couple of them, you know, seemed excited and, and, and that they had learned. And I don't know. But I don't know if you could see when I asked you'd been to a Seder and then, you know, all you people raised your hands. And I said, who hadn't been to one of mine? There were only three hands left. So there were, uh, there were a lot of people that had never been to a Seder before. I don't know. But I appreciate all that you guys. That I just look over that sea of, you know, tables and everything was perfect and everything, you know, all color coordinated and the little desserts and all you people are running around doing stuff. And it's like, this is pretty hip. And that's exactly why Moses couldn't do it because his wife wasn't, you know, he didn't take her. So. It would have been none of that. <laughs> well, and today, I don't know. I just didn't. It was like from early morning till like two o'clock. People came over and people were calling and I didn't get anything done. So I don't know. And then uh, today is the seventh day of counting of the Omer. And so I have the, remember last year we did the Hebrew prayers every time. Well, I've got it right here, but I forgot to put it on that. So. I don't know. Um, and then I was going to mention, did most of you are probably aware of the, the, the water thing, artist's water thing and the snake venom. Is that, you guys know about that? Okay. Well, it, you know, and I'm not sure I buy into the whole thing, but the, the remdesivir is probably, I mean, it's, it's definitely 
from snake venom because Gilead brought those 55 snake scientists in and, you know, and snake venom, the king cobra and the crate venom has 19 different proteins that are designed by God to each attack a different organ in your body, which is why they're so deadly. So it attacks um, and it does exactly what remdesivir is doing and COVID is doing. It attacks the organs that you personally are weakest on because it has the ability to attack all these different organs. So all that made sense and, you know, and all that stuff. I'm, I'm not sure they've put it in the water yet and it would be an easy way to do it. But what I didn't know and found out later is that, you know, he talked about uh, antivenom, snake antivenom. If, if you get a, get a snake bite, would you go to the hospital and get antivenom? Well, of course. And he said there are monoclonal antibodies or polyclonal antibodies and all that stuff. But he didn't say where they got them. And I'd always been under the impression that, you know, they're just, you know, it's science, right? I don't know how they get that stuff. They just make them up in the lab somehow. Well, what I didn't know was the anti-venom for just about every kind of snake is sheep's blood. They, they make all anti-venoms. I mean, it's not, it's not like you get a transfusion. They obviously they machine it or do something to it, but it's, it's, it's sheep's blood. And that's why sheep, if, if a rattlesnake bites them or something, you know, they just shake it off. It's, you know, their face might swell or their arm might swell or something, but it doesn't harm them in any way. And so I was thinking about that. It's, you know, just, just think of God was having, you know, a blast with this, right? That the, that the blood of the lamb kills the venom of the snake. You know, that's the only thing that can overcome the venom of the snake is the blood of the lamb. And, and artists didn't even know that, or if he did, I mean, he, if he knew it, he would have said it. He's talking about all the scientific stuff and the poly this and the mono that, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I think if he knew that, that would have been, but it's, it makes perfect sense, which add to me adds credibility to this whole thing being from the evil one. And it's, you know, it's all, it's all snake venom. And, you know, so anyway, um, okay. So the seventh day of counting the Omer is today. Obviously, 49 days of counting the Omer, and then we're at Shavuot, which will be our next feast for what that's worth. Um, and since you can't read along with me, I'm not even going to bother to read it. But it starts the way you always like the Baruch Adatah Adonai, Elohino, yeah, Melech HaOlam, and it's Asher Kiddushu, Nubi Vamitzbatov, Vetzvanahu Al Safar Al HaOmar or something like that, but just blessed are you, our Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the countering of the Omer. And that's one of the things that he has commanded that we don't do. You know, we, we, try, we, we try to stick to stuff, but there's so much stuff. It's like when Bill sits there, he's always wearing a tzitzit, you know, his little blue. Well, that's a commandment. You're supposed to do that. And we, you know, we think it's all good and awesome yeah, that we, uh, I think it's just the men actually. So we're the ones that, you know, it'll be a better place without men anyway, but <clears throat> there's a million things that we could be doing that we don't do. You know, one of the things that I've always, is the new moons. And I don't know why it's so hard for me to figure out the, the new moon, you know, cause it, cause every month it's just a, a picture of the cycle of rebirth and 
you know, and that's why they did it. It was a thing. You'd look, you know, people would watch and see the first sliver of the moon and then all the word would go out and all the instruments would play. And, you know, it was, the, it was a big thing because that's a picture of what's happening to us, right? We're being renewed. And all of the things that the Hebrews do, we, you know, we do a little bit of them and churches don't do any of them. So we're a little ahead of them, but we're, we still don't do a lot of stuff. So counting of the Omer is one of those things that is commanded. And, uh, you know, it's worth considering. It doesn't, it's not any big deal. You just, it's a, it's a remembrance. And in Hebrew, zakar is the word for remember, and it means to act. And what they would do is they would light a candle like they do every Sabbath, you know, except for 49 days in a row, they would light a candle and just remember that's all it is is a remembrance because it starts at the feast of uh unleavened bread and it goes 49 days and then the 50th day is shavuot and that's when the spirit of holiness fell and you know it's just another one of those pictures so tonight what i wanted to do was um, um i just want to read to you from the bible and see what the bible says right and so i um I've done this by date, so you know what the deal is. So it was Wednesday, Nizon the 13th of 33 AD, I think, when Matthew in chapter 12, starting in verse 38, said this. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from me. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There no sign shall be given it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So they had that conversation on Wednesday the 13th. And then the sun went down and it became Thursday, the 14th of Nizon. And I just want to read you from uh, Iona and Luke. Iona said, um, now Yahuwah had prepared a great fish to swallow up Iona. And Iona was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, right? On this same day, Luke 22, 7 and 8 said, and then came the day of unleavened bread when, when the Passover must be killed. And he, being Yeshua, sent Peter and John saying, go prepare us the Pass Passover, the Pesach, that we may eat. So you remember that. He was, you know, go, go get the whole cult thing and, you know, the whole deal. So this was, um, this would have been on a Thursday in the evening, I guess. Um, it would have been after dark on Thursday, the 14th of Nisan. So after the meal then john picks it up in john 18 3 um, and i'm just using this name judas because he doesn't deserve to have a hebrew name <laughs> judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the pharisees cometh cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons okay now you've all read that a million times lanterns and torches so it was clearly at night right? Because we know it was after sunset on the 14th, which is the beginning of the day. 
A little later in the evening, John records, and this is still Nizon, the 14th in the evening, John 18, 17 and 8, 18 said, Thus saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou also one of this man's disciples? And he saith, I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them, and he warmed himself. So you know what was going on while Peter was doing this, right? Yeshua was being examined by Annas and Caiaphas and Pilate and Herod and sometimes and Herod or Pilate's wife and uh, Judas, as it turns out. And sometimes we think this went on for days, you know, that they beat him and scourged him and because it goes from person to person to person to person to person. But when you read the account, it couldn't have been days. It started... He had Passover. He had his meal, probably just as the sun went down. After that, he would have gone to the Mount of Olives and prayed. Remember, the guys kept falling asleep. After that, that same evening, uh, Judas and the and the and the band comes, and they've got their lamps and torches. And you know, he loses an ear. Malchus gets his ear put back on, and then they take him away to uh, Annas, the priest, and then he immediately gives them to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then Caiaphas, you know, says a few things and they slap him around a little bit more. And then they send him to Herod. And Herod then sends him to Pilate. And Pilate examines him. You know, none of them find that he's guilty of anything, right? He he's being he's being examined just like the sheep were, the sacrifices were. They were being examined to see if they were a suitable sacrifice. And he was being examined, including Pilate's wife and, you know, and all of these people discovered he's, he's not guilty of anything. He, spotless he lamb. spotless lamb. He's a perfect sacrifice, but this all happened in a row in the night. So it was early in the morning of the 14th. Um, and, and we, and we know because they say, you know, the, Herod and Caiaphas and Annas and you know and all these guys they say we got to get this over with so we can be home for our Pesach dinner so it had to be in the morning um, and it just seems and I'd never really noticed this I guess but these guys for the most part are Jews and they're celebrating the Pesach which is the symbol, the picture, the, the prophecy of Yeshua, the Messiah, coming to die and then, unlike the sheep, be resurrected. And did they not know that was a prophecy or a sign or a symbol? Or, I mean, what did they think? That they were just sacrificing this lamb and remembering what happened in Egypt? Because they had the lamb in their jail they were abusing him and they were about to kill him and they couldn't see this i mean it's so ironic and and you know and, and i think i think of me and and i'm going to lump a bunch of other christians in with us there's so much stuff that we just don't see that when you look back on it or you finally figure it out or you know it's like oh my gosh how did i miss that but you wonder, I wonder, how did these guys miss it? And then I look at Christians today and it's like, well, so many of us are missing 
so much of this stuff too. I guess it's kind of human nature. So Thursday late morning, nice on 14th, John 18, 39 says, but you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Pesach. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Yehudim? So you remember that, that was when Pilate, and this was now in the morning, probably eight or nine in the morning, he'd been, he'd been up all night. He'd been examined by everybody and their brother. Everybody had found him to be uh, not guilty of anything, a spotless lamb. So um, then a little bit later, maybe around, probably before noon, but again, nice on the 14th, it's Thursday, probably before noon, John 19, 14 says, and it was the preparation of the Pesach about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Yehudim, behold your king. But they cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And then they delivered him to be crucified. And they took Yeshua and led him away. Okay, that was at the sixth hour. That was about noon of Thursday, because the day starts at sunset, right? So we've gone through most of the day now. We've gone through 18 hours of the day. So he's had his Passover. He's gone to the Mount of Olives. He's been tagged by Judas. He's gone to Annas. He's gone to Caiaphas. He's gone to Herod. He's gone to Pilate. I think he went back to Herod and back to Pilate. And it's now 18 hours later. It's noonish or so. So about um, Thursday, Nisan the 14th, later in the afternoon, most people were eating the Pesach. Now you can eat the Pesach. You can do it like Yeshua did just as soon as the sun goes down on the 14th. If day flips to the 14th, you can do it right there because that's the 14th. Or you've got 24 hours in which it's still the 14th. So most people waited, not, they didn't do it that night. They waited through the night and then would have, like we did, have their meal in the afternoon or early evening before the sun went down. So as most people are eating their Pesach meal, John 19.31 says, and the Yehudim, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So you, you guys know that you can't do any servile work, any ordinary money-making work on the Sabbath, right? That's a day set aside for the Lord. And then there are other days that are as a Sabbath. They're not a Sabbath. They're called a holy convocation or a mikra in Hebrew. And that would be like the day of Pesach. It, didn't, it doesn't always, rarely, in fact, falls on the Sabbath. When it doesn't fall on a Sabbath, then it's it's treated as though a Sabbath. You don't you don't work. You do all the same things. Um, the feast of unleavened bread was the same way. So, Pesach, unleavened bread, Sabbath, and then there's another week in there somewhere, and then there's another Sabbath at the end of that. So there's at least five days that you're not supposed to do any work during this feast. So that's what they mean. You know, you think this thing in parentheses for that Sabbath day was a high day. 
it's telling you it wasn't a Sabbath. It wasn't Saturday, but it was to be treated as a Sabbath because it's a high day. It's a feast day. It's a festival day. So there's, you know, it's treated as a Sabbath. And it's, I, I, to me, it's interesting. I mean, they're trying to tell you something if they put that, you know, in parentheses. And what they're trying to tell you is just that. It's, it has to be treated as a Sabbath. And the only reason they tell you that, well, there's two reasons. One, that you know it wasn't a Sabbath. And two, there's something that will be important. There's a reason, you know, there's something that will happen because they had to treat that day as a Sabbath. So if we skip down to, uh, let's see. Um, <clears throat> these on the 14th, late afternoon or the early evening, Exodus 12, 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. And this word twilight means between the evenings. And some... Um, some Bibles actually translate it that way is between the evenings, which means basically between three and six or, you know, late afternoon and when the sun goes down. So the whole congregation is involved in the same activity and it's between, between the evenings. And in John 19, uh, 26 through 28, Yeshua therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. And he said unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. And he saith unto the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her unto his home. Thus, after thus, Yeshua, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that this scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And we talked about that at the Passover. They, the guy took a rod with you know, it says vinegar, but it was, it was wine. It's the Passover. And, and that's how he cured his feast, but you can see the progression of things. Now he's on the cross, right? So all this is still happening on the 14th, but it's now late. It's between the evenings when they're supposed to be sacrificing their lamb and, you know, eating the Pesach and all that stuff. That's exactly when he found himself on the cross. John 19, 33 and 34 says, when they came to Yeshua, they saw that he was already dead. They broke not his legs, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water. Okay, so we know he's now dead on the cross and we know it's late in the evening. Um, you know, so it could be late in the evening of the 14th or it's probably, the sun probably hasn't gone down yet. And you remember there was earthquakes and um, there was there was a uh, solar eclipse and the the uh, veil of the temple had ripped and rocks were breaking and graves were opening. You know this was not a normal day. This was uh, something different. But timing wise, it's still the fourteenth, but it's very late on the fourteenth. And this whole story had started very early on the fourteenth. So all this stuff takes place in one day. So probably late on the 14th, possibly after sunset. But, but I think if you read this, I think it was just before sunset on the 14th. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's about to be the first day of Masod or unleavened bread. Matthew uh, 27, 57 starts this way. And it said, when even was come, so it, it's, you know, it's in that twilight area between the the two evenings, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Yosef, who himself was 
a, a, was Yeshua's disciple. And he went to Pilate and he begged the body of Yeshua. And then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Yosef had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and he laid it in his own new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. So by now we've flipped over. It's probably, the sun is probably set. It's now the 15th. It's, it's, it's what, I guess what you would call early on the 15th, which sounds weird to us because it would be like at sunset. It would be like now, but this would be early on that day. John 19, 41 says, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new sepulcher, wherein a man was not yet laid. And there they laid Yeshua because of the Yehudim preparation day, for the sepulcher was near at hand. So this Joseph of Arimathea's garden was near, um, apparently, Mount Moriah. It was, it, was, it was very close, so he was able to take the body briefly wrap it up put it in his own tube as the the day changed to friday so he's now in the tomb uh, okay so friday would have been the feast of masot or unleavened bread which makes it a holy convocation a mikra so it's it's as a Sabbath. So no work can be nothing can nothing can really happen. Um, <clears throat> okay, so then Friday night, Friday went from when he was Thursday night, probably in the tomb. Friday went all the way through. So now now Friday night, sunset is going down. We start Saturday. Well, Saturday is the Sabbath. So it's, it's another day of you can't do anything. So we had preparation, Masot, and the Sabbath to deal with. So it's now Saturday, and nobody can do anything until the sun goes down on Saturday. And the girls had all said they needed to go back to the body and bury him correctly, because all Yosef was able to do is wrap him in a clean linen. And that's not typically how they did things back then. The, the girls would come and they would wrap the body. And depending on um, who you were, would determine how many spices you were buried with, not, not the, the poundage of spices. And they say Rabbi Gamaliel, who is the, you know, the big cheese, was buried with 80 pounds of spices. So, and you, you probably know from readings the scripture that the girls showed up with a hundred pounds of spices to rewrap the body. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not clear how they do it. I think they, uh, <clears throat> they wrap a layer of spices and then another layer of cloth and another layer of spices and, you know, and, and like that. So it's a process. And I was reading one of the, the Hebrew commentaries and they were sort of tongue in cheek. Um, there's a, uh, apparently a uh, a saying in uh, Israel that no woman would ever let a man wrap a dead body because they can't possibly do it right. So naturally they would come, you know, because Yosef had his hands full, right? He had a dead body and a tomb and a sheet. And that's what he had because it was 
you know, in hours or moments, it was going to be the preparation day and he had to be, couldn't be on the street, right? It's like a, you know, a, a, whatever those are, a curfew. Thank you. Um, so it was, it was just quick and dirty, but it was very near, uh, apparently Mount Moriah. So the ladies in Luke 23, verse 56, it says, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested on the Sabbath day, according to the commandment. So they'd gathered about a hundred pounds of spices. Now this couldn't, couldn't be done on uh, Thursday or Friday or Saturday because they didn't have the options. Yeah. So exactly. So at, 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 at sunset on Saturday, he'd been in the tomb for three days and three nights. And at sunset on Saturday, they were released to go gather or do whatever, buy or, you know, they're not going to store 100 pounds of spice at home. Maybe, you know, maybe a bunch of people contribute. I don't know where they got it. It doesn't say. But presumably it would have taken some time to gather up 100 pounds. And they couldn't have started until sunset on Saturday. And then we'd be into the first day of the week, Sunday. So it says... Um, in Matthew 28, uh, one through six, in the end of the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday night, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Sunday, came Mary Magdalene and the others to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of Yahuwah descended from heaven and he came and he rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment was white as snow. For the fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that you seek Yeshua who is crucified, but he's not here. He's risen. As he said, come and see the place where Yeshua lay. So they, they let the women in to see that Yeshua wasn't there. So apparently he was... He was dead on Thursday night, and he was raised on Saturday night. He was actually raised on the Sabbath, but they couldn't get there until Sunday morning. Well, he was already, you know, he was, he was already raised and gone. I mean, he was, you know, so they have an angel perch there to explain what was going on. Okay, Luke 24, starting at verse 1. Now, upon the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, very early in the morning, could have been any time after sunset the previous night, they came to the sepulcher and spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. So it was early Sunday morning and Yeshua was already raised. And then John uh, 20, 15 said, Yeshua said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Well, that's always bugged me. Why did he think, why did she think he was the gardener? Couldn't she tell who he was? But think about what the timing is. This is the feast of first fruits, would have been, would have fallen on that Sabbath. So it wouldn't have been a separate Sabbath. It was on that. That was the 17th, right? Well, the Feast of first fruits. what you do is, I mean, it's first fruits. You go into your garden and you gather the first sheaf of barley because that's the time that the barley grows. And it just 
you know, and we know, I mean, we know now the story. She goes on and he says, you know, Mary, and she says, oh, Rabona, you know, I didn't recognize you there. Um, didn't expect to see you alive, you know. Um, but why was he there gathering sheep? Why did she think he was the gardener? I would assume, and this is, you know, this is thus saith Chris, but not just me. I would assume that most people would have thought because it was the feast of first fruits and because that's the requirement of the day that you gather the, the first sheaf of your barley and you bind it up and you take it to the temple. It would have been natural to assume that that guy doing that would have been either the landowner or one of the landowner's peeps. And if it was a, you know, if it was a big place, he would have had one of his guys do it. And I don't know that she knew exactly whose property she was on. She might have. She probably did not, or maybe she did know this Yosef of Arimathea guy. Um, we don't see him before or after this. So it's not like he traveled with him or hung with him. He had an estate. And that was the word, you know, if you look at it in Hebrew, the word that's translated as garden, you know, we think when we, when we hear in English, the word garden, we think of roses and snapdragons and, you know, stuff like that. That wouldn't have been the case in Israel. The garden is where you grow your stuff, right? It's, it's the field where you grow all that thing. So to see the first day of the morning, you know, as the sun is coming up, if you will, on the first day of the week, on the day that the landowner has to bring a sheaf of the first fruits to the temple, well, of course, you're going to see a gardener there hacking, you know, scything or whatever they call that, the bundles down. So she just guessed that that's what it was, because that's what she would expect to see. We read it in English, we don't read anything like that. You know, we think, um, you know, the guy's in a white pith helmet with, you know, netting so he doesn't get stung and he's tending the roses or something. And in, in our world, that might be how it is. You know, we had a big garden at the Santa Barbara Mission and it was the rose garden. And how many, well, they have 160 different varieties of roses. And so there were always people there tending and clipping and weeding and, you know, and it was a beautiful place. That's, that's what I would always think when you see the, you know, who's this gardener? Well, that's not, that's because we, you know, we, we, we imprint what we believe on, on that. And it doesn't help us figure out what's going on. But my guess is she thought he was the gardener because he was doing exactly what he had to do. And if you remember from uh, the Christmas story and, you know, and everything, Yeshua always fulfills even the most minute detail of the Torah. He does everything that has to be done. And if there was that offering of the first sheave, well, of course he would fulfill it. <laughs> he couldn't not fulfill it. He had to do everything that was in scripture. So of course he'd be doing that. It makes perfect sense, at least to me. Um, but you have to wonder, why, why were we given the story of Friday to Sunday, 50 hours, when it's, I mean, it makes such a big deal about three days and three nights, not two partial days in a day, three days and three nights. And that's what he told the Pharisees, just as you saw in Yon, it's three days and three nights. So 
how how hard would it have been to make it good thursday i mean what difference would it make right why couldn't it be good thursday because that would have been the day that it actually happened because there's no way you can get three days and three nights from friday night to sunday morning right that i know of so they always say oh well it, you know it's a couple hours you know, before, so we're going to count that as a full day. It's a couple hours after, so we're going to count that as a full day. Well, that's in utter conflict with what the Bible says repeatedly and specifically. So, you know, I'm the kind of guy that has to go, well, that, that's, not only is it not right, it's unnecessary. Why, why would you have to change that? Or why would you have to lie? I mean, why would you have to make up a story when it's, it's right there? You can read it. I mean, I didn't make any of this stuff up. That's exactly what it says. And it gives you the account from Wednesday when he's arguing with the Pharisees all the way through his, his Passover, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, his, uh, when he, when he rises, the people coming, I mean, it, it's, it, it lays it all. Anybody can figure this out. So then I'm drawn back to some of the things we talked about before, Deuteronomy 29, 19, for instance. Um, and it comes to pass, when he that heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I have peace, though he walks in the imagination of his heart. You know, you, you, you think you, you understand it because that's how it's been explained to you and you have perfect peace with it and then something will happen and in my case it's typically you will read something that doesn't jive with what you've been told and so how do you you know does it even matter i guess is the first thing and most people seem to think well i, I guess it doesn't matter you know and i remember thinking this is a new christian well he's you know, he's the pastor. He's, he, he knows the Bible. He's studied this. It doesn't have to make sense to me. He knows. But it's still, it bucks me. It's disturbing when I get to those things. Mark 7, 8, for laying aside the commandment of Elohim, laying aside the commandment of, who would do that? Laying aside the commandment of Elohim, ye hold on to the traditions of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other things, you know, the, the traditions of men embellish the commandments of God. And that's what, what I struggle with, with a 15 step rabbinical Passover, because so much of that stuff is, is not found in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's good and I get it. And I know why they said it. And I'm still mystified by why they said some of the things, because it points directly at Yeshua and they don't even believe in Yeshua. So it obviously has to be the hand of God somewhere in there. But I would rather stick with what the Bible says. So you're laying aside the commandments of Elohim and you're taking up the traditions of men. And to me, that's frightening. And he gives examples, you know, that the rabbis said, well, you have to wash the pots and pans and the cups and do this in a certain way. You have to wash your hands in a certain way, blah, 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 blah. If you don't do it just like this, none of that's in scripture. They're just making it up and, you know, and some of it might have a point, but it still doesn't say that. So those are the traditions of men. And yet they seem so 
churchy, you know, so religious. And we can easily get that confused because it sounds religious and it's coming from an established religion or pastor or somebody we would hope that we can trust. But you can read it with your own eyes. That's not the truth. Mark 7, 9. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own traditions. Now, I mean, come on, who would do that? Well, of course, the answer is we all do that. Yeah, we all do that. But we're taught in so many of these instances, and I still struggle with what difference would it have made? Why couldn't they have just called a spade a spade and said, oh, it's a good Thursday. And he was raised on the Sabbath, which makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it's beyond me. That's what you would expect to see. You would expect him to be raised on the Sabbath. Why would you have to change that? To what end? And, you know, and I, 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 I can't answer it, but I, well, but you hate because to, they yeah, they can't, but you think you hate to think that, right? Because it, it's almost, I mean, it's, it's almost evil, right? That, that, that they decided, somebody decided somewhere, we're not going to do what the Bible says. We're going to do it this way and tell them that's what happened. Yeah, it's evil. And then you look at what's going on in the world today, and it's just evil. I mean, these people... No, it's not. Right. And they, they disregarded them then. And for what end? And I suspect it's for that end where they're, they will do everything they can do to pull you away from God in the tiniest, stupidest little ways. You know, I yell at Biden at the TV sometimes about that. You don't even have to lie about that, you moron. Just tell the truth. It wouldn't make any difference. Why are you lying about it? Everybody knows you're lying. Well, how much of the stuff that we think of, you know, that we've been taught in churches are lies? <laughs> you know, and, and, I'll, and I'm not saying it's, it's, well, maybe it is. I don't know. It, I, I can guarantee you that Tommy or Eric or whoever your, your pastor is that's, that's saying these things is not, is not evil in lying to you about those things. He just, he, he was taught those things. And if he stops to read it, I think he too would have, and he probably does have questions about it. But somewhere back on, you know, if you go far enough back on the cogs, somebody must have done this because it was evil. I, I mean, I don't know how else to think about this. So when, when, you, when you consider that, you know, that some of the things that you've been taught and some of the things that you've heard may not be exactly true, and may in fact be covering something up. And in this case, I think what they were covering up was Yeshua rose on the Sabbath. Well, if he rose on the first day of the week, then that gives us a good excuse to shift what, what God said from worshiping on the Sabbath to worshiping on the first day of the week. Because look, the Messiah rose on the first day of the week. And we go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Except he didn't. I mean, read scripture. You put the timeline together, and he didn't. He rose on the Sabbath. So using their same logic, 
then you would have to worship on the Sabbath. Well, you can't do that because that's what the Bible says. And we're trying to break you free of those, you know, those iron chains from the Bible. I mean, that's got to go. So, so when Matthew 15, 24 says, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what he said. Those are his words. And he did that. He said those words several times. So think about how that's taught to you at church, if it's ever taught to you. What does a pastor say about stuff like that? You know, I know when I said, well, I'm not Israel. It's like, oh, that, that, you know, that that's, that's in those days. Don't worry about it. Now we're the church, you know, like somehow that makes everything better. Well, it doesn't because this is the new Testament. This is Yeshua. And he's saying, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So they'll dance all around this and explain to me why the church is important rather than explaining to me how to become part of the house of Israel. First Samuel 15, 22. And Shimuel said, Hath Yahuwah as great delight in burnt offerings as sacrifice as in obeying the voice of Yahuwah. Behold, it is better to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. Do you get that at church? Do they tell you that? You know, they're, they're big on the sacrifice. You know, we need a new wing or the carpet's dirty or, you know, whatever it is, we got to have a few bucks. And do you know that most churches, I mean, the aggregate of churches in America, 98% of the money they take in goes to support the church. It supports the pastors and the office staff and the buildings. There's no money left over to go do what you would think a church should be doing. You know, they all send missionaries here, there, or whatever. But the missionaries have to raise their own money, right? It's not like, you know, all this great funds that you give the church goes to furthering the kingdom. It goes to furthering the building. And you look at the Catholic church and they have some of the most magnificent buildings on earth. I mean, they have seven basilicas in different places on earth that are, you know, these are, these are buildings. Those are, if you've ever seen them, if you haven't, you should go because it's worth seeing some of the, the one in South Bend is one of the weenie basilicas, but it's one of the seven and it is stunning, you know, that, and that's not free. How does that happen? I don't know. So we've been for three or four months now, I think. Um, I've been giving you these discussion verses, you know, and those were just a couple of them. And they're designed for you, well, I guess first for you to ask yourself, but I think you've all, you know, realized what the truth of those verses are. But to ask other Christians those things. Because how would they explain them? You know, how, how do they have to dance through? He came only for the house of Israel. Now, are you Israel? Well, no, no, I'm the church. Hmm. That's not a good place to be. No church in the Bible. And you go through and you read the two houses. There's only two houses. House of Yehuda, house of Yisrael. They come together at the end of days. Everybody else 
is on the outside looking in. What does that mean to you if you're the church? If you only identify as the church, well, there's no church in scripture. You have to be from the house of Israel. We've talked about all that stuff, all these, you know. So that's my, um, it continues to be what I hope you will do is when you are talking to people, you have some of these questions written in your Bible or, you know, as it comes up and you say, hey, well, what do you think about that? What do you think about when Jesus said he only came for the house of Israel, lost sheep of the house of Israel? Who are those people? And we've looked at a bunch of those verses where it's, Yeshua or Yahuwah, depending on Old or New Testament, who scattered all those tribes of Ephraim and it says he will regather them. And so all the churches are talking about this rapture. Well, I mean, just read the book. What does the book say? It doesn't talk about going up. And, and what? If you go, oh, what then? You know, you go up in a rapture before the tribulation happens. I would suggest anybody who thinks that uh, believes there's no tribulation yet um, that's getting harder and harder to sell but before you go up and, and what what does the bible say well oddly it doesn't say it just you know there's a rapture for sure and it's coming at the end of days as Malachi says, when the, when the house of Israel and the house of Yehuda come together, Ezekiel 37, Mal, you know those verses, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, and Romans chapter 11, and all that stuff. That's a rapture if he's taking you back to the land he gave his fathers. That's what Hosea says in that place that I was. You were not my people. You were scattered. I think it was the first child. In that place, I'm going to regather you. Well, where's that place? Israel. So I don't know. I just, uh, I would encourage you, and I know you do, to read your Bible, but don't just read it. Think about what it's saying and think about what it's saying in relation to what you've been taught. And then, you know, iron out those issues because they're actually not that difficult to figure out because there are a hundred verses that tell you all that stuff. And when you find it's in conflict with some of the things you've been taught, you have a dilemma. What are you going to do? And that's my job is to make you wonder, you know, what, what, because I'm not saying the church is evil and the pastors are evil. And, but I am saying that there's a, there's a deeper truth in there. And I think as we get closer and closer and closer to the end, that deeper truth is going to come in really handy because you'll be able to talk to people who are going what's going on i should have been raptured and you're in the middle of this massive tribulation and and the government's trying to kill people and the new world order is coming and they want to reduce the population of the world to one billion and half of them are chinese so you're out anyway you know people get wigged well i've tithed all my life i've got a plate on the back of my pew with my name on it what do you mean i'm not going I don't know. It's a good place for you to be. And you were, you were, you were created from before time began and you were placed in your mother's womb at the exact time he wanted to place you in your mother's womb. So you would be on the earth at this exact moment. And you have to ask yourself why, 
out of all the billions of people that have come and gone in all the years that there have been 6,000 years, why did he pick us and the people around us to be on this earth at this moment when it's all winding down? And I can't think of any other reason except he wants to use us and he knows this is the group, you know, and the 10,000 other groups just like this. Those are the people that he's going to use. And you saw the people in Goshen, you know, they're living in sun with no locust when it's darkness and all the plants are gone in the world. And you see that picture all through scripture and there's always a remnant and you get to the book of revelation and there's the remnant three times. He talks about the remnant and it's the people who keep the commandments of Yahuwah and have the testimony of Yeshua. Well, that's a pretty small group of people right now. But I think as time goes on, and that's what I was so excited about the Passover. There were 50 people there. And I would expect that as we get closer to the end, there would be people that are just drawn to understand the Tanakh that have never understood it before, never had an interest in it before. And all of a sudden there's something, they just know they're drawn to it. And that's good because I heard, you know, from three or four people and you, you were talking about your friends you ran into that did it in Glenwood or where. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's what I said. There's 10,000 little groups like that. And that might be a big group. I don't know. He's got a church, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I something. I, I don't know how big the group is, but I do know they uh, make a big deal out of it. Yeah. As they should. Yeah. So that, and, you know, and 10 or 15 years ago, you couldn't find anybody that thought that. And now all of a sudden, there are a ton of people. And just look around. You've got 49 people at a Passover. And what is there? I, I would guess probably 70% of them had never been before. Why were they there? They don't even know why they're there. I was telling my Jewish client that. I said, who's some Gentile. <laughs> but I am. I've been grafted in. But he's talking about the church. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, but that's the thing. And some of the best conversations I have are with cultural Jews. And they absolutely have no idea about any of this stuff. I have a question for Okay. Why is Elohim Well. Well, that's exactly why I say stuff like that. So people will ask questions. Um, Elohim is plural and it's feminine. Fem- in the feminine gender. Hmm? Or it's in the masculine gender. I, I don't know. But Yahweh, you know, Yudhe Vape is not plural and it's in the other gender. Well, that's the same guy. So how can it be female and male? And how can it be singular and plural? Well, obviously he has attributes of both, right? He has attributes of males and females. But when, and we've talked about this before, the Hebrew idea, and that's why it's so hard to witness to a Hebrew, is we tell him about the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, three and one, it's Trinity. It's, we don't know how it works, but it's awesome. Well, that's, you know, you know, danger, Will Robinson, danger. A Jew thinks you're a pagan because you worship multiple gods. 
they see male and female singular and plural in one guy it's and i've described it the only way i can describe it is as a beautiful diamond that's cut with you know 85 faucets or something and you shine a light on it and the light goes in every direction that's how a jew sees god it's not just one i mean it's one but it's not it's everywhere it's all things it's male it's female it's plural it's singular it's everything it covers the whole gamut of all this stuff and you stupid christians three guys that's all you got is three guys we have everything because he's everywhere at the same time and does all this stuff. And that's always been one of the stumbling blocks when you're talking to your Jewish friends is don't ever talk to them about the Trinity because that's completely pagan. Okay, see, there's always somebody who knows something in the group. Yeah. The verb that accompanies it. That was the. the okay. Okay, so in, in, in one one or one two, he's create or he creates us in our image. Elohim is plural in our image. So they, they both have to jive. You can't have a plural and a singular in the same sentence, but it's our image. So who are the ours? And if you're a Christian, Elohim is plural. You've already seen you know, Yahuwah created everything except with Yeshua. And then by chapter, I mean, by the second verse of chapter one, you've got the spirit vibrating on the waters. So you've seen them all right there. And a Christian will say, well, see right there, there's Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost right there. Trinity. Got it. First chapter. And that's not exactly true. <laughs> it's just expressing, I think, a bigger picture and then when you put it in english we have to make the verbs and the adverbs and the nouns and the all the other stuff line up so we wind up changing something to our or pretending like it's plural or adding a word because otherwise it wouldn't flow in english or and it's misleading sometimes does that make any sense no a little Male and female, just remember that. Male and female, singular and plural. Same guy, one guy. That's all there is. Well, that's not true. It's, it's Yahuwah is male and female, singular and plural. He covers it all. He's got male and female attributes. And again, the Hebrews have a saying that if, um, if God was only Yahuwah, if that's the male, I can't remember which way it works. If God was only Yahuwah, then the world would be destroyed because it's all male and he wouldn't put up with any of this crap and he'd eliminate everybody and there'd be no world left. But if it was all Elohim female, or you know, I may have those backwards, but if it was all Elohim female, then the world would be destroyed into chaos because there would be no rules and nobody, everything would be grace and mercy and anybody could do anything they want. 
So you have to have both is how a Hebrew would look at it. You have to have both and they have to be expressed in the, in, in God, in the one guy, you've got God, his son, the father, and then the spirit of holiness isn't a person. It's an attitude. It's something that you can only gain by obedience, which is Acts 5.32, you can only get this spirit of holiness through obedience to God's word. Well, that's not how we see it. We're sold this bill of goods about three different guys, but they're all the same, and, and they're not at all. And if you try to con convince a Jew of that, he will just laugh you right off the sidewalk, because they know that's not true, and you've started at a really bad spot. I don't know. Did that go anywhere near Elohim? <laughs> it is plural. Right. But he is everything. So he's not really singular. But it's a mindset. It's not a, it's hard to translate it into English. Because we want everything. Well, it's like I said, the entire Tanakh is 304,405 pictures. And in English, it's 2,116,415 letters. Well, that's, that's, to me, that's a perfect picture of English versus Hebrew. You know, Hebrew's got the big picture, all this. I mean, you can go anywhere and do all these things. In English, we have to have a word for every single thing. And you can't translate Hebrew that way. So they struggle to make it readable to the english palette mm -hmm. shema yeah or whatever amen on the mezuzah and it's also in matthew did you know yes. yeah he's one don't ever tell a jew there it's a trinity because <laughs> it's just not But that's what I found is the, uh, the feasts are a great way to talk to a Jew because most of them don't know what you know about them. And it opens a, you know, it opens a door you can drive a Mack truck through because you take them to, and they all know Ezekiel. They don't know Romans 11, but they know Ezekiel 37 and Malachi 4 and all that stuff where the, the two tribes will come together at the end. And when you explain to them, you know, who's the tribe of Israel? Oh, they're scattered. They never came back. All Jews admit they never came back. All the rabbis admit it. They never came back. They're out in the nations. They don't count. So when Ezekiel says he's bringing the house of Israel and the house of Yehuda together, how do you read that? That's a miracle. Uh-huh. Well, who, who, who are the house of Israel? Oh, it's those scattered people. Well, who are they? It's anybody who lives in the nations that follows the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Because they follow the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And they live in the land. So that's the house of Yehuda. I follow Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. And I live in the, in the nations, so that makes me the house of Israel. And those two are coming together. Very simple.